What you're going to see today is not an act of salvation, and I want to make that really, 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 really clear. Is it clear yet? <laughs> what we're doing is, as a church, we're committing ourselves and assisting them as they commit themselves to raising their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they raise up kingdom kids that turn into kingdom adults. Isn't that fun? We're very blessed, and I think we're all getting here. Yeah, come on, come on across. Praise God. Aren't they a good-looking crowd? <laughs> Let's see if I can do this right this morning. We have Charlie and Mallory Chapel bringing CJ. And, and we really tried to get Charlie. You got him. There he is. Hey, Charlie. <laughs> Praise God. He is uh, preparing for deployment. We also have Ben and Samantha Grover and Amos Keith Russell. Also known as the Hulk. Wait a minute. I think there's one more slide here. There it is. <laughs> I knew you'd get in there somehow. We've, we've got James and Sarah Hurst and Jensen Wade Hurst. Cool. We also have Justin and Sam or Samantha Paquette and Brock Kyle. Amen. <clears throat> and we have Paul and Amanda Prilliman with Paige and Paul. This is fun, isn't it, CJ? He just, he just enjoying seeing Daddy. Well, let me share a couple of scripture verses with you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Listen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, tell them about God all the time. The psalmist writes, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him, with those who respect and reverence God. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. Now, these scripture verses are true, but as I read them, I want you to understand that it does not necessarily mean that your kids are going to wind up to be Christians. But it does. It's not automatic, but it does give them a far better chance if you do your job. Amen? Amen. That's why it's so important to live your life in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know you because, become to know God because they know you. And I, and I say this, uh, that that's going to be... There's no truer 
uh, example of that than your children. If you know God, there's a very good chance that your children will come to know the Lord personally. Parents, uh, what you do with God will have the greatest impact on what your children do with God. Never forget that. If you don't believe that there's a God, then most likely they won't believe that there's a God either. If you treat God like a 9-11 call or a backup parachute or only call him when uh, there's no one else to turn to, then most likely they'll do the same thing. If you have greater priorities than God, then so will they. And if you give God your leftover time and your talent and treasure, then they may not give God anything. Just imagine what your children can be if they see you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You are, without question, the greatest influence that your children will ever have in their lives. I love what Jesus said. He said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Jesus loved children. And uh, as his representatives, we love children too at Harvest. Amen? Amen. So parents, I, I'm going to charge you today with these words. And, and I encourage you to take this very, very seriously. On this day before God and this church family, do you promise your child to God? And do you dedicate yourself to raise your child in a Christian home and among God's people, how do you speak? Everybody in agreement with that? All right. Praise the Lord. Now it's your turn, church. Church family, on this day before God and these parents and these children, do you promise and dedicate yourselves to love them and help them as they seek to raise their children, children in a way that's pleasing to God? How do you speak? How about a good, healthy amen? Amen. amen? I like that better. Let me pray for these children and for these parents and for our church. Heavenly Father, this is a very solemn moment, one in which we approach the throne of God with all seriousness. We desire today to commit ourselves as parents, as babies, and as a church to be about the will of Almighty God. We ask that you to bless each of these parents as they commit their children to you. And we ask God that you help them because they're gonna need your help in raising these kids. We also, Lord, ask that you help our church because, Lord, this is not just a, a traditional thing we do. This is a serious commitment. Every person who's a part of this church has now a responsibility to help these parents and help these children grow up to be everything that you desire for them to be. We ask God your blessings on each of them and on us as we attend to this commitment that we're making today. Please, God, help us to achieve things that are beyond our ability so that you receive all the glory and honor and praise that you deserve. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. All right, Miss Joyce, come help me. We have a, a few gifts here this morning. And let me, you, you, you get them to me and I'll get them to you and we'll. This is a uh, certificate. 
and there's a Bible in here, CJ. And there's also, and I'm just going to explain this right now. There, there's a letter in each one of these bags, and it's addressed to your children. Um, this is how serious I am about this. We, we never know what tomorrow will bring, right? Um, this letter is to be put into a, a safe place to keep until your child is about eight years old. If you need it before, then take it out. But what's in here is a letter from me to your children explaining how to be saved. I am committed to helping your child come to know the Lord. And uh, in, the, in the event that the Lord takes me home or I'm not here or you're not here, you're somewhere else, uh, I still want to have a part in your children coming to know the Lord. So this is from me, and uh, I hope you'll keep it and read it later on to them, okay? I love you. All right, Dad. Hey, thanks, man. Love you, Dad. Cool. You're becoming a chunk, too. <laughs> God bless you. Love you. We're growing big around here. got a double handful don't they well they haven't seen anything yet wait till they get a little older <laughs> God bless you Paul these are for y'all let me stick these together and you can probably get those like that God bless you Let's give the Lord a hand, okay? Amen. Love you, buddy. He's probably in a helicopter somewhere. God bless you. Amen. We wish God's best for you and for these children as you go forward. Amen. To a passage of scripture found in Matthew 6, verse 33. My favorite verse in all scripture. Jesus said, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we seek first his kingdom uh, on earth as it is in heaven, and his righteousness, his rightness, all the things that we're going to need in life are going to be given to us, added to us. God will bless us. Now, I would say that every pastor should live by that verse. So should every church. And certainly, even more important, every parent and every family. Mom and dad, your primary task as kingdom parents is to raise your children to grow up as kingdom kids into kingdom adults. What a challenge. 
I want you to think about this as we think of that thought. It is your children who are going to follow in your footsteps. And so it is your responsibility to equip them to continue carrying out the advancement of the kingdom of God. Hundreds of years ago, in the days of kings and queens, it was their responsibility and their right to turn over their kingdom to whomever they chose. They could rightfully transfer their kingdom to to a person or to persons of their choosing. Well, as kingdom parents, it's really no different for us either. As you prepare your children with what they need to function well in relationships at school or at work or wherever they might be, certainly in the society that we live today, you are contributing to their enablement to either live life with greater dominion and vastness of power and authority or lesser depending on how well you equip them with their education, with their spiritual growth, and certainly their emotional development. I want you to think about this reality, and this is where we are today. Every institution there is in the world is in some way built upon and predicated upon the institution of the family. Never forget that. So if and when the family implodes or explodes, as many times it does in our world today, then every institution that depends upon strong families will disintegrate as well. When that happens, you can't pass enough laws to make up for the devastation. And there's no program that you can implement that will correct what happens to people when homes crumble. And you'll never be able to elect a politician either who can bring about the harmony and social order that is needed when the family is decimated. Families are important. Dr. Tony Evans said, there's not much use in talking about the problems in our nation's capital until we fix the problems in our homes. Simply because what ultimately matters is not what happens at the White House, but what's happening at your house powerful statement so how are you doing moms and dads with being parents we don't have enough time to answer that question do we it's tough it's tough Um, there was really nothing that my parents could have ever done to prepare me for being a parent and I'm sure that you could say that as well Now, you may or may not agree with me, but time will tell if I'm speaking truth here. But I believe with all my heart that in many ways, America is unraveling simply because the family is coming apart seam by seam, stitch by stitch. I know as you read the reports and you watch the news, we seem to be regaining our our respect in the world as a nation. Hopefully our military is being strengthened. We're throwing a lot of money at that. The economy seems to be getting stronger. But folks, the family is unraveling. Things are far worse than most people want to admit. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? Amen? Oh, me? Hang on to this. Don't miss this. If you're not careful, this will go by you so quick that you'll miss it and you won't take it home with you. But you need this. The reason why 
our families are unraveling the way they are is because God will always judge a nation who refuses to put him first. Did you hear that? God will always judge a nation, a people, who refuse to put him first, and especially those that claim to be his. Sometimes God will allow their economy to collapse. It's happened to a lot of countries throughout history. Sometimes he allows other nations to defeat and subjugate them. That, that happens even today. And there will even be times when God will allow chaos to take over in the home. I want to read a passage of scripture that you probably never paid much attention to. It's found in the third chapter of Isaiah. Uh, I hope you never forget this passage and I hope it explains why we're in the situation that we're in. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 1 says, The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will cut off the supply of food and water from Jerusalem and Judea. Now, now stop right there. How long are you going to last without food and water? You know, what, what if city water no longer worked? What if they close down food line? We, we've already lost farm fresh. <laughs> Have y'all been in food line lately? It's crazy. Yeah. Hurry up and put another grocery store in Smithfield. <laughs> what if you had no food and water? You wouldn't last very long, would you? Now, now look at this next statement, verse 2. He will also destroy all the nation's leaders, the heroes, soldiers, judges, prophets, diviners, elders, army officers, honorable citizens, advisors, skilled magicians, and expert enchanters. What he's saying there is, you know, after God cuts off the food and water, then he takes out the leadership. There are some that think that happened already in our country. But it gets even worse. And I think verse 4 is, is where the answer is going to come from. Look at verse 4. After he's taken the water and the food out, and then he takes the leadership out, verse 4 says, Then he will appoint children to rule over them, and our anarchy will prevail. People will take advantage of each other, man against man, neighbor, uh, fighting neighbor. Young people will revolt against authority, and nobody's will sneer at honorable people. I want you to be honest. Who really runs the average home in America? Who really runs the average home in America? It's not parents. It's the children. It's teenagers. Scripture says that can happen. Then he will appoint children to rule over them and anarchy will prevail. Folks, that has to change if America is going to survive. But for that to change, we have to have some hearts that change. And so do a lot of our priorities. Listen, there's no greater effort that you can put forth as a parent 
to restore our nation than to make it your greatest goal to keep the family together and to help them to be spiritually strong. And we all know that that's getting harder and harder in our day. So, so much has to change. I remember when teachers were allowed to and wanted to invest in our children. There was a time years ago when you were able to turn on the TV set and see shows that were clean and wholesome. I remember growing up in a neighborhood where families looked after everybody else's kids. But all of these things that used to help us raise our families are pretty rare today. Anytime you leave your children at home or you send them to school, there's an evil force at work to unravel everything that you've tried to teach them at home. Good, strong, healthy, godly families are very hard to find these days. You teach them one thing and then their peers will teach them something else. Most of the TV they, they watch and most of the movies they encounter uh, are, are counter to what we teach them in the home. And it's hard to find teachers and schools today that are going to teach your children the morals and the values that we cherish as parents. And, and I found it, it, it's not all that uncommon to find parents that don't agree on how to raise their kids and, and, and what they should be taught. So if good and strong and, and healthy godly families were important 30 and 40 years ago, they're even more desperately important today because honestly, they are our last stronghold of hope for our nation. As goes the family, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the nation. Now, I don't think I have to remind you, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's my job, and I kind of like to do it anyway. Raising children is probably the greatest challenge that you parents are ever going to have. Raising your kids is a huge, huge challenge. Probably the biggest one you'll ever encounter. That's probably why James Dobson wrote a best-selling book years ago entitled Parenting Isn't for Cowards. How many of you read that book? You need to get it and read it if you hadn't read it. Parenting Isn't for Cowards. Kind of reminds me of a, a, a story about a gifted speaker whose favorite lecture was on the Ten Commandments for Parenting. And then he and his wife had a second child, so he changed the title of his lecture to the Ten Suggestions for Parents. And then they had a third child, and he stopped speaking altogether publicly. It's tough. And, and I think you would agree with me that it's, it's a whole different story when you're the one raising the kids. So I've tried to think what you need and put together some thoughts that maybe will help you. And I hope they do. Here's some thoughts, three that I think will help you to raise your kids to be who God created them to be. First and foremost, and I know it's not political, but I've never known, been known for doing that, being that. It is biblically correct. All children need fathers present and active in their lives. A lot of people would say, I don't need a man in my home to raise my kids. Yes, you do. We need fathers that are present in the house, but not just in the house. We need them active in their kids' lives. As you study your Bible, you'll find that God views the father 
as the representative head of the home. The Old Testament reveals that the father was the one through whom and to whom that he would speak and his job was to transfer God's teachings to his wife and children. It all started in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 where the scripture says the Lord God placed the man, that would be Adam, in the garden of Eden to tend and care for it. But the Lord gave, the Lord God gave him this warning. You may freely eat of any fruit in the garden except the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Now, folks, God gave this warning to Adam before Eve was ever created. And it was his responsibility to take that information that God had shared with him and share it with his wife and with his children. He was to be the one that transferred that information. That is the role of a father. I believe that is why from the very beginning that Satan has sought to get rid of dads in the family. If he can get the dad out of the house, a lot of times the family doesn't hear from God. When the father is gone, also the primary representative at home is gone, which places an extra burden on the mother. We don't think about that. But I would say to dads who walk out on their families and children, they need to pay attention to what God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. That verse says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generations. Did you see that? Listen, when you walk out, you don't just walk out on your children and on your wife. You may be walking out on your grandkids and your great-grandkids and maybe even your great-great-grandkids. I, I have a book in my library entitled The Dad Difference. It was written by Josh McDowell and by Dr. Norm Wakefield. And there's a section in there where they write this comment. They say too many men have virtually defaulted as fathers, becoming either absentee or uninvolved in their children's day-by-day -day development. They also say that the absence of the father is a stronger factor than poverty in contributing to juvenile delinquents. There's a Yale study in that book where they studied 48 cultures around the world and they concluded that crime rates were highest among children and adults who were raised solely by women or by mothers. John Hopkins, John Hopkins University researchers found that young white teenage girls living in fatherless families were 60% more likely to engage in premarital sexual relationships than those living in two-parent homes. You say, well, that's shocking, but it's understandable given the fact that our world is so ungodly. But I would say to you, what's even more shocking is what goes on in the Christian home. And when you read that book, you'll find that their report is so shocking that I can't read it to you today. We're in mixed company. We have kids here. I can't quote some of the things that I'd like to tell you, but if, if you want to know, see me, I'll let you borrow the book and you can read it for yourself 
especially page 12 and page 13. But I will share with you uh, a report that was um, commissioned by Dr. Josh McDowell. He had Barna, Barna Research Group do a, a study back in 1987 among evangelical Christian teenagers. And it's shocking what he writes. He says that the average teen in a in evangelical church spends less than two minutes per day in a meaningful conversation with his or her father. Two minutes a day. And spends only slightly more than four minutes per day conversing meaningfully with his mother or her mother. That's not very much time. It gets worse. He writes that one in every four young people surveyed stated that they'd never had a meaningful conversation with their father. 25% of our kids go through our homes and never sit down and have a conversation with daddy. He also reported that sexual contact and promiscuity was much less likely among teenagers who had close relationships with their fathers. So here's the bottom line, guys. Dads are vitally important to their children. They write that your relationship with your sons and daughters now is a verified factor in their self-esteem, which in turn affects their growth in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. Again, Dr. Tony Evans commented on this by writing these words. He says, what's been lacking for so long in our culture are men solidly living in their biblical places of leadership. And while God has given women great gifts and abilities, and while we could not function in our homes without them, the great challenge for the church is to win men and call them back to their rightful place of spiritual responsibility as kingdom men. When fathers will live out their calling to be present and involve leaders in, in the lives of their children and to be visibly affirming to uh, of, their, of their wives, he says, we'll see huge dividends in the fruit of our youth. Families need fathers in order for them to grow up to be who God intended for them to be. So fathers, let me encourage you to be present, but also be active in your family. Uh, something else that I would say, you need to pray over and with your children. And I, I confess to you, I, I didn't do this enough. My, my two girls turned out to be wonderful. What would they have been if I'd have prayed over them every day? It's been said that in the world, if the world is ever again to get to its feet, the church will have to get to its knees. And I believe that. You know, Matthew records that parents brought their little kids to Jesus. For him to lay hands on them and to pray for them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And as I read that the other day, I thought, well, if, if Jesus prayed for children, so should parents. And we should teach them how to pray. Dr. Evans writes, parents, your children should grow up in an environment where praying is not just something done at the dinner table. It needs to be a way of life and a response to situations that arise as, 
your children see you turn to the Lord in thanksgiving and, and in questions, they will also become, it will also become a natural response for them. We need to pray over them. Solomon wrote, train children how to live right. You apply that verse to, excuse me, to prayer. It helps me to understand that you can't begin to teach your children to pray too early. They need to learn a, a, a lifelong habit of prayer and learn to talk to God every day. It reminds me of a little six-year-old boy who asked his father for a puppy. Sorry, son, the father replied, not now. But if you'll pray real hard for, for about two months, perhaps God will send you a baby brother. Well, little Bobby prayed faithfully for about a month and when it seemed futile to pray any longer, he gave up. He stopped praying. And oh, how surprised he was when a month later a little baby boy arrived in their home or so Bobby thought when he saw the squirming bundle that was nestled beside his mother. His proud father pulled back the cover and Bobby saw two babies. There were twins. And his father said to him, son, aren't you glad that you prayed for a baby brother? And he said, I sure am. But dad, aren't you glad I stopped praying when I did? <laughs> Kids need prayer. And I found the older they get, the more prayer they need. And sometimes that's all you can do. Because they're all over everywhere. Life takes them different places. We need to pray for them. A third thing, not only do we need to be present and active in their lives and, and do we need to pray for them, I, I think we also need to make sure that we encourage our children. Paul writes, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He says, fathers, do not nag your children. If you're too hard to, to please, they may want to stop trying. One of the best things that we can do is learn how to encourage our kids without breaking their spirits and, and pushing them down. There are so many kids today that are going outside the home searching for significance because they're not finding it at home. Far too many of them are leaving home because all they've ever found was rejection and frustration and confrontation. So here's some thoughts on ways to encourage your children. I, I hope you'll enjoy these. First, I would say that you need to always let them see you value, valuing each other or each of your children and, and never play favorites among your kids. It, it's so easy to, to have that happen. And it, it's tempting to play favorites when one of your children is more, you know, has a more agreeable attitude or a sweeter personality uh, or, or, or when one shares likes and dislikes that the other doesn't or, or when one is an easy compliant child and the other is that strong-willed child. It's easy to show favoritism. Showing favoritism in a home can be very destructive it certainly was detrimental to Jacob's family. If you remember in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, it says, Since Joseph 
was born when his father Israel was old, Israel loved him more than his other sons. He made Joseph a special robe with long sleeves. That was a symbol of of leadership, of royalty. It made him higher than the rest. If you read that story, you'll find that his brothers hated him so much, they wanted to kill him. And they tried to kill him. Listen, folks, as parents, none of us can afford to pay to play favorites. God, God doesn't do it. He doesn't play favorites even today. Romans 10, verse 12, Paul writes, Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives his riches to all who ask for them. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is not partial to any of his children. He is always consistent. He's always fair. So we have to remember that showing favoritism is a sure way to discourage a non-favorite child. I would also say you can encourage your children by making sure that they are a high priority on your list of their life. And you need to make sure that they are not getting the leftover time or the leftover effort. Uh, You can encourage them by investing in their dreams, not necessarily your dreams. Please don't get caught up in trying to live out your unfulfilled dreams in your kids. They're their own people. God has a plan for their lives. So we need to help them reach their God-given potential and become everything that God wants them to be. Never force a child to be something that God doesn't intend for them to be. But help them explore their giftedness and their, their making and channel their strength so that they become all that God desires for them to be. A third thing that I think we can do, and this is a hard thing for us men to do, but put them ahead of your career. Wow. Got quiet, didn't it? We're so driven about what we do in life that sometimes we forget we have kids at home. They need to be above your career. You need to be a positive role model, an example to your children. Dad, I don't know if you realize this, but you are the number one greatest influence in their life when they're young. So don't miss that opportunity. Invest in them. One last thing that I would say that is important is you need to make sure that you help to develop them spiritually. Mom and dad, the, 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 the most important thing you'll ever get an opportunity to do is to help your kids come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to remember that the only thing that you can ever take to heaven with you is the soul you lead to Christ. Everything that you accumulate in this life is going to be left behind. Don't leave your kids behind. You can't lead them in places you haven't been. If it's your responsibility to lead them to know Christ, you have to know him yourself. That's why earlier I quoted a little plaque that's in our, one of our rooms in our home. It says, live your life in such a way that 
Those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. They need to see Christ living in you. There's another passage of scripture I want to point you to. It's Isaiah 41 verse 13. God says, I am holding you by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God, and I say to you, do not be afraid. I'm here to help you. We told our children when they were small, and now we're telling our grandkids, especially when we're out in public with them, you need to get a hand. You need to hold on to my hand. You need to let me have your hand. And we do that because when we have a hold of their hand, we can somewhat control the situation, if you know what I mean. If there's a car coming, we can pull them to us and we can hug them or we can lift them up. Or if, if there's something dangerous that we're coming upon as we walk down the sidewalk, we can keep them from falling in a hole or maybe stepping off the side of the sidewalk. We've told them more than once that they can uh, find safety and security when we have a hold of their hand. Now, think about what God says in this verse. He says that he holds us by the hand. Try to visualize that. Try to understand that God doesn't just speak meaningless words. He says that because he does. The God who spoke the world into existence and flung the, the sun and the moon and the stars, he's the one that's holding his children by the hand. He's holding us. He's walking through life with us. Dr. Jeff Shreve says, what makes this truth even more astounding is the fact that today there's a nail scar in each hand. The one who holds you is the one who loves you so much that he willingly died for you on the cross. Now think about that. Not only does he hold you by the hand, but he's promised to help you every day of your life. The God who can do anything promises to help you and me as we walk through life, regardless of what trials or problems come our way. He says, fear not. Because I got a hold of you. Fear not. The Apostle Paul writes with God's power working in us. God can do much, much more than anything that we can ever ask or imagine. God wants to help us. He is our Heavenly Father. He has provided for us fathers in this life to help us. Most of us had fathers. I, I was very blessed to grow up and, and have a father, even though he wasn't a Christian at the time. He was a very moral, good community guy that loved the community, but he loved his wife and he loved us kids. And uh, I, I remember at about five, and a, maybe five, five and a half years old, I was realizing that, that my dad did a lot of interesting things. And so I, I hung out with dad a lot. And when dad would be in the yard, I'd be in the yard. When he was in his truck, I'd climb in the truck with him. Whatever dad was doing. And on, on this one particular weekend, my dad was, 
was out in the backyard doing something, and I was with him. He could have been working in the flower beds. I don't know, but uh, we were busy out back, and you know how little kids will get distracted? Y'all ever get distracted? This mama redbird flew across the yard and flew up into a, a holly tree, and it got my attention. Next thing I knew, she flew out of the tree and went off across the yard, and just a few minutes later, here she came back again. She flew up, and, and I'm wondering, what in the world is she doing up in a tree? And I walked over and got to looking up, and there's a nest. And I could hear some commotion going on because this mama bird had some babies that she was feeding. Well, my dad saw me standing under the tree, and he walked over to see what I was looking at. He looked up, saw the bird nest, and he knew exactly what he had to say because he knew me. And he said, son, do not mess with those baby birds. Daddy went to work on Monday. <laughs> Mama got me up. She fed me some breakfast. She put some clothes on me, and she led me to the back door and out in the yard. I went in that fenced-in yard, and guess what? That Mama Redbird was still feeding those baby birds that day. I didn't just go over and look up. I climbed up. You know, holly trees are sticky, but it didn't deter me. I climbed up, and not only did I look at those baby birds, but I held those baby birds. I even took the nest out of the tree. I was so mischievous that I took the nest out with the three baby birds, got on the opposite side of the tree so that when my mom came out the back door, she could not see me. And I sat there with that nest in my lap and those little baby birds just a chirping and that mama raising cane up in the tree and the words that my father said to me all of a sudden came to my mind. He said, son, if you touch those baby birds, that mama will never have anything to do with them again. And she'll push them out of the nest and they'll die. I had not thought about that. But for the first time that I could remember, something was going on inside of me. It was this icky, ugly feeling that I'd done something wrong. I didn't have a clue what it was. But I knew enough to know that I needed to get that nest back up that tree as fast as I could. And I needed to hope for the best and I needed to put those baby birds back in that nest hoping that that mama bird would take them back. And so I put the nest up in the tree and I put the baby birds back in the nest and I went to the other side of the yard and played the rest of the day. And I tried to forget 
what I'd done. In fact, when dad got home that afternoon, we had our supper and, you know, we did a few other things and I went to bed and the next morning my dad got up to go to work like he always did and his path to the truck led him by the holly tree and he saw something that was very disturbing. There were three baby birds dead at the bottom of the tree. He came back in the house and he woke me up. And he said, son, did you play with those baby birds out back that I told you not to play with? And I said, oh, no, sir. <laughs> I was lying out my teeth. I knew I was in trouble. And he knew I was lying. And he took me by the hand, led me out my bedroom, through the hall, down the, through the kitchen, out the back door to the base of the holly tree. And he said, can you explain that? Guilty. I'll tell your story later. I tell you that story because that's the day, listen to me, that's the day that I got in trouble with my earthly father in a big way. But that's also the day that I got in trouble with my heavenly father in an even bigger way. You see, disobeying your parent is sin against God. And while we're born innocent, pure and clean, when we sin against God, it separates us from God. And if I had died separated from God, I would have not made it into heaven. I stood here a moment ago as we were worshiping, and I, I thank my God for making a way for my soul to be clean and my sin to be forgiven and for me to be made right with him. And that way was the fact that God sent his son, his only son, whom he cherished and loved more than anything else. He sent his son to die on a cross so that I could be forgiven and I could be made right with the father. And, and that sin of, I, I mean, I was a murderer. In my little mind, I murdered three innocent baby birds. And we go, oh, that's nothing. No, it was something. Because that was the beginning of a lot of other sin. You see, sin, and you, you've heard me say this sometimes, sin's like laced potato chips. You can't eat just one. You sin one time, you'll sin twice. You'll sin a third time, and before you know it, your soul's so marked up with sin that you've lost count. But God remembers every one of them. And the scripture says one day he will hold you accountable for everything you've ever done. And the only way beyond that or around that is by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And letting him forgive you and clean you up so he can present you to his Heavenly Father. God loves you. He is a father we need. When we talk about earthly fathers, not everybody had a good earthly father. 
but there's no greater than the Heavenly Father that awaits you. Amen? So, so, so my encouragement to you today is, if, if you don't know the Heavenly Father, to take a moment and invite His Son into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And you can know the Father through the Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. The invitation today is simply this. Trust His Son and be right with the Father. Trust His Son and be right with the Father. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful you've allowed us to come into this place today to worship you and to honor you by giving ourselves completely to you. There are a lot of Christians here today, Lord, that love you with all their heart and they're, they're trying to become everything that you desire for them to be. We, we struggle with that, Lord, because we are human. We do still have that sin nature in us, even though you live in our soul. God, it's a matter of who we feed the most that determines who we live for. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be stronger Christians tomorrow than we are today. Help us to confess our sin and, and to repent of it, Lord, so that we can walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. All of us need to do that, Lord. There are even some in this room today, Lord, that that are lost. They're like I was that day at the foot of that tree. Guilty, sinful, convicted, disobedient. God, some need to be saved today. And I, I trust, Lord, that your spirit's working on their heart. And that, God, you'll help them to take that path that leads to your throne. God, we love you. Even though we don't understand everything about you, we're seeking to become who you want us to be. And I ask God that you help us today. Lord, you put in our heart what we need to do, whether it's be saved, more committed, whatever that decision there is in our heart that would please you today, Lord, help us to be obedient. God, thank you for the opportunity to know you, to serve you, to be blessed by you, to spend eternity with you. God, have your will and way in us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's